Back in 1959, there was a photographer named Philippe Halsman, and uh, he published a book called The Jump Book. And what made the book special and out of the ordinary was his specialty was to go and meet celebrities and convince them to jump for him. And then he would take their picture. Some of the celebrities included Elvis, President Richard M. Nixon, Muhammad Ali, Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis, and the Beatles. <laughs> Today's message is called He's Got Hops. It comes from the book of Acts, and it has to do uh, with a man who uh, has been lame since birth, but he suddenly acquires the ability to hop. So our three points today are going to be jump, clump, and bump. All right. So if you have a Bible, you can be turning to the book of Acts, chapter 3 and 4. And uh, if not, uh, you can just kind of follow along today. But again, uh, our, uh, our message today is called He's Got Hops. And our three points are going to be jump, clump, and bump. So let's pray together. Let's see what God has for us. Dear Lord, uh, I thank you. You're an awesome God. And I thank you, Lord, uh, the stories that you've placed uh, in the Bible. They're there for a reason. And each one of them uh, was important when they happened. And, Lord, they're important today, and they can speak to us today and change our lives today. God, I thank you for the story of a miracle that took place a long time ago. And I pray, Lord, that today uh, the story itself would inspire us, but also, Father, that it would propel us forward to love you more and to serve you more. And we just thank you, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so our first point today is jump. And what takes place here is that a notable miracle uh, takes place. A man who has always uh, been lame is healed. And he instantly begins to leap and praise God. So first, let's start reading the story. Again, Acts chapter 3, beginning verse 1. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. So uh, let's unpack that a little bit. Verse 2 says this. It says, he was a man and he was lame from birth. He had always been this way. And the worst part was this. He had recently missed the Messiah. In fact, really just a, a few weeks before, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ had been in the area. And in fact, he'd been healing people. And surely this man had heard some of these stories. He'd heard about maybe a blind man receiving his sight or maybe a deaf man receiving his hearing. But on top of that, he also heard a few stories of people who were paralyzed who had received healing. He heard about the man who had been, uh, you know, dropped down through the roof. You remember that story? And Jesus was inside and healed that man. And probably he heard about the man who was by the pool of Siloam and who, who couldn't get in by himself and how Christ came along and healed him as well. But here this man had missed the opportunity. He had not had the chance to meet the Messiah, the Christ. Uh, it also tells you in verse 2 that, uh, there he was, uh, you know, they would carry him and lay him down um, by that gateway into the temple. And he would ask alms of those entering the temple. So he himself 
could not enter in. In fact, he had to be carried and laid there. It says daily, every day, in hopes that passers-by, as they walked into the temple, would take pity on him and give him something for his sustenance. The story goes on in verse 3. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. So again, in verse 5, it says this. He was expecting to receive something from them. Now, the specific something is unspecified, but he had just asked for alms. So he was asking for money. Uh, So you can imagine his surprise when Peter responded and says this in verse 6. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. So this beggar was expecting coins. He was expecting something temporal. Imagine his surprise when he received something miraculous. Verse 8. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk. And entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Well, so far for this guy, it had been a good day. (laughs) Probably it was the first time he had ever walked into the temple. He'd ever actually been inside it. But as amazing as that was, that's not what occupied his mind. He was thinking, I can walk. I'm healed. And he's jumping up and down and he can't contain himself. And he's praising God. Verse 9. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So in verse 9 it says that all the people saw him. But it also says that they recognize him. Now, I've mentioned this before. Back in those days, people lived in relatively small communities. Even if they lived in a, in a larger town, they still lived in small communities. And they hardly ever moved. Which means you grew up in your neighborhood and you knew everybody in your neighborhood. And in fact, sometimes you were related to those exact people. So, this man who had been brought to the temple daily and laid there at that gateway as people passed by. I don't know about all the people, but certainly, uh, you know, there were the ones from his neighborhood who were used to seeing him every day. But even others, as they walked by him, as he asked for alms, some of those would recognize him and realize, this guy's been coming here for years. And the ones that knew him best could say, ah, he's been this way since birth. And they were amazed. Verse 10 tells you they were filled with wonder and amazement. Here's a thought for you. When God does it work, it always gets the attention of people. And it always has an effect on people. We go on to verse 11. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. 
Okay, I love this verse, verse 11. It says he clung to Peter and John. I mean, think about it. He found something good and he's not going to let go. But think about this too, how thankful he was. And there's a thought here too for you and me. That the more you and I realize what the Lord Jesus has done for us, the more you're going to cling to him and the more thankful you're going to be. I want you to see this next picture. I heard a story years ago about a girl named Crystal Greco. And the story is related to horse therapy. And it's an interesting story. Uh, in, in the year 2010, she was about 14 years old. And she was being treated for a stress fracture uh, in her lumbar spine. Well, one morning she gets up and she feels this explosion of pain. And within minutes, she lost the use of her legs and lost all feeling in her legs and she collapsed. Uh, after x-rays and an MRI, doctors told her she had a ruptured disc which had bruised her spine. She underwent emergency surgery to decompress her spine, but despite the surgery, she remained paralyzed from the waist down. Now, shortly after that, she was transferred to Kennedy Krieger's International Center for Spinal Cord Injury where she began undergoing something called horse therapy. And what they believe is this, is that while she was on top of a horse and would feel the movement of the horse's legs beneath her, that somehow that began to connect with her brain. And five months later, she began to have feeling again in her legs. And a few years later, by the time she was a senior, she was actually able to walk across the stage at her graduation with the help of a walker. Now, that's a pretty amazing story. But here the story at hand is even more amazing because this beggar, this lame man, uh, he had been lame all his life since birth. And now he meets Peter and John. He doesn't even realize who he's talking to. And he just asked them for something temporal, just a few coins. And he receives something. So much better. And now he was jumping up and praising God about it. And it attracted a crowd. So we're at our next point, uh, which is clump. And clump has to do with how this crowd gathered because of the miracle. Uh, and Peter has the opportunity to tell them not just about the miracle, but about the miracle worker, the one responsible Christ himself. So we go on with the story when chapter 3, verse 12. When Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we had made him walk? All right. Very first thing Peter clarifies is this, is that he and John had no healing powers. And they wanted no credit for this miracle. But then Peter continues in verse 13. It says... The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer. He's referring to Barabbas, if you remember the story. You asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. All right, let's look at that a little bit more closely. Verse 13, 
Peter begins to point the attention to Jesus. And he very quickly blames the crowd for Christ's death. Look at some of those phrases. In verse 13, he says, whom you delivered over and denied. In verse 14, he says, you denied the holy and righteous one and you asked for a murderer. Verse 15, you killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. And what he's communicating to people, number one, he's not very seeker sensitive, okay? But also, he's telling them, you are guilty of murder. Let that thought sink in for a second. He's telling them you are guilty of murder. You actually work through a sequence of deliberate steps and you're in big trouble with God. But Peter doesn't quit there. He goes on in verse 16 and says this, and his name, talking about Jesus, and his name by faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. He says, faith that is through Jesus. The emphasis is on faith alone in Christ alone. Faith alone in Christ alone. That's what's healed this man. But it's also what can heal any of us. And he's going to make that clear in a second. But for now, faith alone in Christ alone. And then he says this in verse 13. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did also your rulers. He just accused them of murder. But then he says, I know that you acted in ignorance. You remember when Jesus did something similar to that? When Jesus was hanging on a cross. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And here the apostle Peter is saying, I know that you acted in ignorance. He reduces the charge of murder to manslaughter. Or you, you actually have caused an accidental death. You did it accidentally. You didn't know what you were doing. Now, this is important because of this. Okay, According to the law uh, in Israel, and this is going back to the days of Moses, so a couple of thousand years before Christ. According to the law, if you committed murder, the penalty was death. Uh, if you could um, summarize the law as far as the rules of murder, it was an eye for an eye, right? Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And so if there was a murder, then the person had to lose their life. But the law also made provision for those who caused someone's death by accident. We call that manslaughter. The law made provision. There were six cities in the nation of Israel called cities of refuge. And when someone caused someone's death by accident, then they could flee to a city of refuge. And as long as they lived within that city, they were safe from the penalty of the law. Do you see that picture? Long time, a couple of thousand years before Jesus came, God was already foreshadowing his grace and mercy that even if we were guilty of murder, even if we were guilty of Christ going to the cross. And if you think about it, if you've sinned, I know I've sinned, but if you'll admit you're a sinner, 
you realize in a way you're partially responsible for Christ being on the cross. Here, Peter was accusing them of murder. And then he reduced the sentence to manslaughter. And what he was implying was this, is that God was willing to forgive them, even for such a heinous crime. Now, let's talk about Tony and Francis Toto. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you recognize these people. This is the only picture I could find on the Internet. And, you know, you can almost find anything on the Internet. It's the only picture I could find of them. Their story was big in the late 1980s, around 1990 or so. And I bet nobody here remembers their story. So let me just kind of refresh your memory, okay? Tony and Francis Toto had been married for years. The problem was, occasionally, Tony would flirt with other ladies. And his wife, Francis, didn't like that. So she hired a hitman to kill her husband. That, so far, is a story you hear every day. But here's what makes their story bizarre. Is that Tony survived not one, not two, but five murder attempts. Okay? As a matter of fact, uh, by the time uh, uh, the fifth one came around, uh, the police had caught wind of it. They actually rescued him and took him to the hospital. He thought he was experiencing a migraine headache. But he actually had a small bullet, a 25 caliber bullet in his skull. That's when he got, you know, to the hospital and the police explained and the doctors explained that what had been going on is that these mysterious things that had been happening to him as of late were uh, a plot that his wife had uh, and with this hitman. Here's the other bizarre part of the story. Tony instantly forgave his wife. Instantly, he actually raised up money to pay the bail to get her out of jail. Part of the reason was this. He said, he said, you know, I really hadn't been totally innocent. So he felt partially responsible. But the other idea was this. This is what he said is that any woman who would be so jealous of my flirting that she would want to have me killed must really love me. (laughs) But he was willing to forgive her. Y'all. The apostle Peter looks at his audience. He accused them of murder. But then he told them that God was willing to forgive them. Now, what happens is this, is that not only had had they drawn a crowd of people who wanted to see this miracle, but the religious leaders heard about it as well, and they were not happy about it. Which brings us to our third point today, bump. So, In case you haven't experienced this already, know this, that if you love Christ and you stand for Christ, you are going to face opposition from time to time. When Jesus ran his earthly ministry for for three years, uh, it was the religious leaders that constantly opposed him. And now that he had died and risen from the dead and his apostles were bearing witness to his resurrection, well, now the religious leaders don't like it. And here they come to oppose them. So we we pick up in chapter 4, verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Just hold that thought. We're going to come back to it. Verse 3. And they arrested them 
and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. All right, so let's go back and look at this, okay? First thing it mentions is that the Sadducees came. And that's an interesting thing, all right? Because in Jesus' day, during his ministry, you would hear about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Those were the religious leaders. And here was the difference. The Pharisees believed that one day there would be a resurrection. But the Sadducees did not believe that there would be a resurrection. And that's why here in chapter 4, verse 1, when it mentions the first of the group, the first people it mentions is the Sadducees came. Think about it. Because if Jesus had really risen from the dead, this was a direct attack on what they believed. As a matter of fact, in the book of Acts, you'll see here and there that some of the Pharisees actually began coming to faith in Christ because ahead of time they believed in the resurrection. But now these Sadducees were at the at the forefront because they denied the resurrection. And now they wanted to keep these guys silenced. So in verse four, it mentions also it says, here's the good news that many people who had witnessed the miracle and heard Peter speak, many of them believed. It tells you about five thousand people. God's word always has impact. Here was Peter to tell them that although you're guilty Although you're guilty of of Christ going to the cross, that he's willing to forgive you if you simply would put your faith in him. That's why he's called the Savior. And in fact, he didn't stay dead. He rose again from the dead and proved he was the Savior, proved he was Almighty God. Uh, In verse 3, it mentions this, that they arrested Peter and John. Now, really picture this, y'all. This wonderful miracle had taken place. In fact, they're in the temple when they get arrested. So the guy's right there, the guy that they healed. He's right there. And all these people had witnessed it. And in spite of that, these Sadducees and religious leaders just hardened their hearts and arrested Peter and John. You know, Psalm 112 describes the heart of of someone who's just so wicked that when God does something good, they just can't see it. And I wanted just to show you that verse real quick. Psalm 112, verse 10 says this. The wicked man sees it and is angry. If you read it in context, you find it's God doing great works. And still the wicked man just hardens his heart. And that's how these religious leaders were. In spite of this awesome miracle we've been talking about all morning. In spite of that, right there in their midst, all they could see is these guys are associated with Jesus We still hate him, so we hate these guys as well. And they arrested him. Verse 5. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. Do you think that was a little bit intimidating? Verse 7. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired by what power or by what name did you do this? Picture how intimidating that would be. All these religious leaders. And a couple of fishermen, y'all. It's just Peter and John. And just a few weeks before this day, remember what Peter did when he was afraid? He denied that he even knew Jesus. In fact, John's the only one that approached 
the cross and got close enough. He was he was with Mary and some of the other ladies. But everybody else had scattered and watched from a distance. But now, just a few weeks later, uh, here they were, surrounded by these religious leaders. And they asked him this question, by what power or name did you do this? Think about it, y'all. To what degree is someone able to harden his or her, or her heart? I mean, you know what I'm saying? When you know God has done a mighty thing and still you refuse to admit it. Well, Peter, <laughs> at this point, was happy to answer their question. So in verse 8, it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you. Skip to verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else. Let's look at those phrases, y'all. He mentions Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And in case you don't remember this, Nazareth was like a town that that um, just didn't have a great reputation. And so things associated with Nazareth. There was even a phrase uh, one, one time about uh, uh, one of the apostles said, um, can anything good come from Nazareth? That was like a saying they had back then. And here Jesus, uh, I'm sorry, Peter is kind of sticking these Sadducees and religious leaders. And he's saying, Jesus of Nazareth. <laughs> okay. So he says that first. And then, and then he tells them, whom you crucified. And then he tells them, whom God raised. So, doesn't sound like he's very intimidated. He punctuates his speech with this in verse 12. He says, there is salvation in no one else. There is salvation in no one else, y'all. Their hope. And our hope is faith alone in Christ alone. He died for our sins. He rose from the dead. It's faith alone in Christ that saves us, y'all. Again, that's why he's called the Savior. Verse 13. Now, they weren't happy about it, right? And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Verse 13 says, they saw the boldness in Peter and John, that they were uneducated, just common men. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I got to tell you, y'all, that's how I want to be remembered. And I hope it's the same for you. I want to be remembered as people who, especially if they have an idea how I was before Christ. That that guy's different. And the only explanation is that his life has been touched by Jesus Christ. In this case, they recognized Peter and John were different now. And it was undeniable they had been with Jesus. So, uh, after they get released, uh, they get together with the believers and they debrief uh, the, the story. And it tells you in verse 31, it says... And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. You know what? When believers get together and swap stories, 
good things happen because it encourages our faith. That's one of the reasons we've been trying to encourage people either to join one of the home groups that we have starting up or a small group or just get together in twos and threes. Breakfast, lunch, food's always good, right? But get together with one another. And sure, chit-chat's fun, but swap stories about what Christ has been doing in your life. It encourages our faith. We're at our application point. So just two thoughts. Number one, um, live for the legacy. Okay, That's how I want to be remembered. And again, I hope that's how you want to be remembered as someone who's been with Jesus. And the second thought is this, y'all. Stay connected one way or another. Find a way to be connected to other believers. Small group, big group, just a couple of you. And swap stories. The stories you, you share with each other... They may not be as incredible as a man who was born lame and miraculously being healed. Okay, it may not be that incredible, but when you share your stories of what God is doing in your in your life and you hear those stories, it encourages your faith. Let me give you a minute just to think about these things and then I'm going to pray for you. Dear Lord, I pray. For each person in this room. That each one of us Lord. Would just love you so much. And that we would learn to walk so closely with you. That it would be undeniable. That we've been with Jesus. And Lord I pray that as each of us grows in our faith. That we would be connected to the body of Christ. And that we would swap these stories and encourage each other's faith. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, you're dismissed.